Shroom for Two, Episode 31, The Dectacular. Welcome to Shroom for Two, the uh, Plants vs. Zombies Heroes podcast. I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. We're gearing up for our third battle episode, everybody. Yeah, this is a thing we do every once in a while where instead of having a regular episode, we are going to have a, I guess, a a three-round match based on the decks that we drafted from listener submissions last week. Yeah, so those videos will be in an element in our show notes. So you'll be able to go to our YouTube page and see those. Uh, We haven't recorded them yet, so I don't know if I lost for three times in a row yet. But uh, we'll be soon finding that out. But first, Mike, you got a story to tell, don't you? Uh, Yeah. I was playing the uh, Daily Challenge back on Monday, I think. It was the one where you got a Molokale so you can evolve all your stuff. And I managed to Molokale into a Transfiguration. But the way the field was set up, there was a Fire Rooster going back and forth between two lanes. And it was plinging off the stuff that got molecaled, and then each time the fire is through would pling, it would activate the transfiguration again, so I got a nice little back-and-forth chain of, uh, <laughs> like, four or five plants that went through a cycle until one of them turned into a potato mine and killed the rooster, but I still managed to draw some cards and get some Starch Lord value off of that. That's pretty sweet. It was, yeah. It was uh, hard, hard counter to fire rooster, I guess, so maybe it's <laughs> not as, uh, as top tier as I think it is, but, uh, yeah, that was... A real fun little interaction, and you know, even even more amusing because you're the one who has gone and crafted Transfiguration, and I am the one who comes here with a crazy Transfiguration story first. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had some cool Transfiguration stuff happen. You know, I mean, even in one of our recorded matches where the thing on a Transfiguration got polymorphed on a Pear Paradise, so that I got a second copy of the thing. I think that that's pretty cool. And, you know, there's just, like, lots of funny emergent properties that happen when your plants might just turn into total random nonsense. I do kind of want to talk about that deck eventually. I don't think I have. It's in a Pecanolith deck, a Spadao Pecanolith deck, because, you know, the high health creatures are what you want for both Pecanolith and Transfiguration. But uh, that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is the matches that we're about to play. So we drafted a handful of decks from listener submissions last week. I drafted two zombie decks and a plant deck. Mike drafted the opposite. And we'll be playing best of three or three recorded matches in total on um, on our YouTube page. So yeah, go and uh, pause the podcast right now and go and find out that link and watch those videos and then come back with us to recap afterwards. And the deck list and stuff will be posted in the show notes. Yeah, and we'll, so, talk, we'll talk about the decks a little bit afterwards, too. All right, so go enjoy that. All right, welcome back. Uh, thanks for flipping the record over and following us through the second half of this podcast, where I won 3-0. Yeah, that's right, you did. Congratulations, Mike. Uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, close game. Game one, definitely. like that. Game one, definitely very close. It was the kind of game where... It comes down to the last round of combat and like when the block meter gets procced and which superpowers you get. Definitely could have could have won that either way. Yeah, there was a fifty percent chance there I could have drawn the Smash's ultimate power, but I didn't. Um, and that Garg throwing Garg really showed up at the right time. I believe I drew that that turn, and it just put two big fatties in the place where they needed to be. But uh, those cop cannons really pulled through for you. 
Yeah, Cobb Cannon was a fantastic addition to this, even though uh, it becomes a 3-6 if you have 3-nut on the field. But uh, just the fact that there's so many cheap little team-up guys and little Buddy and regular old Walnut are perfect for this. And uh, sadly, I didn't get to show off the Loco Cocos that I put in there because I was I was real happy with myself for finally finding a deck that it was a good fit for because I I've, I've, haven't had much luck cooking with it beforehand. And it uh, works really nice in this deck as just a way to to refill your board and of course if you have three not out there you don't even need to evolve it at all right yeah i wonder how that would work with hunting grounds like i wonder what the order would be in for where the guy would go yeah so hunting grounds like so my both of the hunting ground both of the zombie decks that i was playing here were based on hunting grounds and i think that the upsides and downsides of hunting grounds were shown off in these games so the the way to counter hunting grounds is to just put a big threat in the lane. And so that means that the stuff that goes into that lane will die there in terms of zombies. And that's what you did both times. Being able to throw a three nut down and then have a little buddy protect it or give you six attack in a single lane is really huge for turn three. And since I knew that uh, energy drink zombie would go around to some other lane, I knew I had a free six in there and also a shamrocket ready to kill that. Although I, uh, I ended up throwing back a different shamrock when I mulliganed, and uh, if I'd remembered you had Garg throwing Garg, I would have kept that, because that was <laughs> real scary. Yeah, so the the other mechanical interaction that I wanted to highlight in this post-game thing is Lil Buddy. So you were playing two Lil Buddy decks, and as one would expect, both the Lil Buddy decks were kind of based around ways to buff Lil Buddy. So in the one deck you had Onion Rings, in the other deck you had Three Nut. And so this highlights the danger, I think, of making the zero mana creatures because the zero mana creatures while in some ways like swabby or whatever people just make jokes about them they do exist as combo enablers that's really one of the things that they're the best at so for things like valkyrie or zombla back in the day or now being able to just stack up giant threats in the same lane with team up is a very effective way of winning games and we've seen that here I think Lil Buddy might be the best of all of the zero-cost cards they've come out with so far, you know. Undeniably. Yeah, and before this, zero-cost cards were Eunice margin- marginal things. Like, we saw uh, Swabby used in some Zomblob decks as a way to get it in the Amphibious Lane for zero mana, or for Medulla Nebula shenanigans, or whatever. But Lil Buddy has really come front and center, and has uh, shown itself to be good in a lot of kinds of decks, and working well with... A lot of different synergies, either through uh, attack growing stuff like that, or even just being a, a target for Briar Rose or a source of healing for your Pepper MDs. Yeah, it it just so happens to slot into a very powerful mechanical spot in the plant decks, and the fact that it has team up really makes it materially different. Like a a zero mana one one without team up and a zero mana one one with team up are just miles apart, and so even the Puff Shroom. You know, zero mana one one mushroom with team up has a lot of utility in just protecting something that you need to keep alive. In this case, you were able to protect the thing that you wanted to keep alive and also add three or four power to the board. The power is very clearly on display there. And I mean, you know, there are ways of interacting with that. I did mulligan a sneezing zombie in my opening hand of the first game, and I probably shouldn't have, but, you know, yeah. A big thing is, though, if. If you can just keep the three nut alive through that first turn and then being able to come around to turn four or five with a bunch of cheap things in your hand, you're in really good shape really quickly. Whereas, you know, if you're playing a 
a crazy hero, and they might just be able to uh, drop a bungee plumber on that three nut, and then you're you're in a lot of trouble unless you have a second one in your hand. Agreed. Um, so let's talk about that second game. So that second game, the plant deck that I was playing is ostensibly trying to be aggressive at the beginning. It's got Pumpkin Boy and it's got Split Pea, trying to like make sacrifices in order to get early damage in. But your deck was pretty good at stopping me from doing that. So Cheese Cutter was something that I had to decide to block or not. And even when I chose not to block it, you were able to bounce my thing, and so that was whatever. But the cheaper cards drawn for you by the Cheese Cutter and by the follow-up of Dr. Spacetime allowed you to fill the board up, which prevented me from being able to get in early damage. So I had to shift into more of a controlling role. Um, I had some mid-rangey cards in my hand that sort of allowed me to, to attempt to do that, but you were able to tempo me out with freezing spells and whatnot to and the um of course barrel full of barrels making a giant trade that would have otherwise been very good for me um we were able to maintain your board presence by hobbling me just a little bit with the tempo stuff yeah usually that uh dolphin tornado return a plant to their hand superpower is lauded as not very good but it is perfect in this kind of matchup where i knew you had some really big high risk creatures that you know, you would put all your mana into getting out early, and, you know, if you played a pumpkin on turn one, I could bounce it back to your hand and maybe get two cards from it if you wanted to play it. And just being able to protect my cheese cutter for that one turn and then make you have to choose between the cheese cutter and space time yeah. was enough. And, you know, I just kept filling my hand back up with imp synergy, and uh, I, I didn't get to show off any of the frenzy strikethrough combinations that were lauded about from listener James when he sent this in. But uh, I managed to pull a uh, headhunter off there and get the dancing synergy with the line dancing zombies. Yeah, that was pretty harsh. And I mean, the um, drawing the ramp spell off the cheese cutter too also kind of allowed you to let you sort of plug up all the lanes in ways that forced me to be reactive instead of proactive. A little sad that I missed out on the uh, the three mana four one that bounces an environment gravestone guy because I I wanted to see how that worked in this deck. And uh, it just seems like a really big tempo swing. and uh, It definitely would punish me for going all in on a coffee grounds with like a potato-saurus and a giant thing on a coffee grounds. That would have been pretty damn harsh. There are also smoke bombs in the stack, but I didn't end up using them because like those are ideally to get your card creators into an open lane to hit. But uh, I was able to fill the board up really fast because I got that, uh, that sweet zero-mana hot dog zombie to help fill all my lanes. And the and at the end I had a I, I ran out of time and couldn't play a Sunstrike and you know there was a very very small chance that that would have allowed me to win because it would have been it would have connected for eight with the Bananasaurus Rex and then five with the Ketchup Mechanic and you would have been at thirteen and so if I had rolled one 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 on the block meter I would have gotten you there but the chances of that happening were quite low. And then uh then there was game three. Which, uh, truth be told, was our second attempt at Game 3. I, uh, I forgot to hit record the first time around, so we, we abandoned that match uh, pretty, far, pretty quickly in. But uh... It went pretty much about the same. I mean, like, I was in an okay position in the, in the game that we ended up not seeing. But, the, again, that, that hunting grounds thing of, like, this is where the game is at, and they can choose to play there or not. And if they don't, your dude doesn't grow. And if they do, your dude doesn't move. And so then that is, you know, that's just sort of like put some extra power in the plant player's hands to dictate this, the sort of texture of the game. 
Yeah, and you can't really hunt after anything if your opponent doesn't play any cards because uh, an onion rings deck. You're not you're you're all about holding on to your cards until later, and then that's true. throwing a bunch of them down all at once instead of having to get hunted down each turn. Each turn. And by the time they do that, um, the dudes are usually big enough to to outclass whatever was on the hunting grounds. I mean, even newspaper zombie as a four health creature is kind of uncommonly high health for cards of that cost. And even then, it was really easy to outclass in the stats department after an onion ring, especially when your deck was full of team-up cards, as an onion rings deck would want to be. Um, so there's some matchup concerns there. You know, like, there's definitely a lot of creatures in that deck that are weak to hammer, and, you know, you were playing a pair of hammer decks. And so that is kind of the story of the last time, where it's like sort of both of the decks that I chose to play kind of ended up being soft to the same package of solar cards. Yeah, uh, listener Gabo didn't have any mallets in their version of this deck, but mm. I like I like teching them in because it felt okay to have a card that I could spend and not have to worry about losing onion rings value off of it. Right, where like it's just okay, I can use this before turn five and not have to worry about losing any onion rings power because it wasn't getting it powered up by it anyways. And right, 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 being able to kill those uh, small cheaper creatures, like being able to just take out your your uh, vampire imps. Yeah, that no problem was real good, and uh, I had a devil of a time with that newspaper zombie being at a uh, at four. And I thought, okay, maybe if I use the Colonel Pult to lower down one one, but then it would follow me and gain the one attack back. And then I got that super that brought it down to, by one, and uh, was able to mallet it and take control from there. Yeah, I don't think I had any way to change that. Like, I don't think I had a biodome botanist in my hand or anything to move it out of the way and make it big. Um, yeah, so something else about this matchup is that um, Magic players will often ask themselves the question, Hey, sorry about that. While we were in the middle of recording, Taylor's computer decided that it had had enough and uh, promptly started going into mandatory updates. And, you know, self-care is very important, even if you're a computer, so we just kind of let it mellow. Anyways, what Taylor was about to say was that Magic players will, at a point in the game, assess how aggressive they need to be in order to win based on what kind of late game they think their opponent is carrying, and uh, my Onion Rings deck has a very good late game setup because it's able to throw down a whole bunch of really strong static creatures on a fairly early turn. It's basically he wasn't aggressive enough knowing what kind of deck he was going up against. But yeah, that'll do it for Shroom for Two. Hope you enjoyed checking out the YouTube video playlist that uh, I still need to make, so that's what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Or I guess that's what I did yesterday from how you hear it. But yeah, uh, next week we'll be back with Class Warfare, and uh, I know we didn't do Card of the Week this week, but uh, we wanted to give ourselves a, a full episode to talk about it, because both Taylor and I think that Health Nut is really great, and you should all get four of them if you don't have them already. And uh, all that and more next time on Shroom for Two, and I'm Mike, and Taylor's computer will be back. Have a good weekend.